0: Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I wanna say thank you to our sponsor, Peoria Christian School. They are raising a generation of 21st century Christian leaders right here in central Illinois. Visit their website at peoriachristian.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. It's fun to have our first mother-daughter duo as guests. I know you will enjoy this vulnerable chat with Claire Stanfield and Tyndall Baldwin. Whether you're a teenager currently or you're parenting a teen, this chat is for you. Prepare to hear the wisdom that comes after seasons of heartache and to be inspired with God's story of redemption. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Claire and Tyndall. Thank Thank you. you. Glad to be here. Well, let's just start by having both of you introduce yourselves and then give us a snapshot of who you are. So Claire, you are the mother here. We're going to start with you. (laughs)
1: Uh, I've lived in Atlanta all my life and my husband has two. At 18, I was saved but still had a very rebellious spirit. So went away to college and was in and out of my walk. I got pregnant after dating my husband now for a few weeks. And we were married three weeks later. So we had known each other approximately six weeks. Crazy. And now we've been married 36 years and we had four children in six and a half years. Now we're empty nesters. So we've come full circle all my children live in Atlanta, all four of them, and I uh, get to see them a lot. And we have 12 grandkids. And right now I'm caring for my mom, who's older and struggling. Um, so that's kind of my focus, my family, my kids, my grandkids, whoever needs me. And Tyndall, what about you? Yes.
2: Born and raised in Marietta, just a little bit outside of Atlanta. Had three brothers. Went to Auburn for college. That's where my husband and I met. And I was saved at Auburn freshman year of college. We've been married almost 10 years now and have three kids. Clear, named after my mom actually, it is six. Briggs is four and a half and Colby is our spunky two-year-old. Out of college kind of realized that because of like my life journey and when I became a Christian, I really loved helping
1: teenagers.
2: So shortly after graduating, I started writing a book for teenagers, just my like story of becoming a Christian. And when I was 25, got it got published. It's called Popular. And for the past like eight or so years, I've been doing high school ministry in some way, shape or form, speaking, writing. I have a group of high school girls at our church. And that's kind of what I love doing. But my main gig is mom of three I stay home with them and kind of do the other stuff on the side, but love getting to be a mom to my little ones. And yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. Love it. And your book was incredible. You are a gifted writer.
0: You two have just been on quite the journey. And I think you're going to encourage so many parents and teenagers today. So, Tinda, let's go back to your memoir that you wrote about mm-hmm. growing up in a wealthy suburb outside of Atlanta, like you mentioned, and all these pressures that you faced. I really appreciated your willingness to be so transparent. Mm-hmm. So will you just share a bit of your story with us?
2: Yeah, so for me, being raised in a Christian family, I had like an understanding of God. I knew like who God was, but I more knew who he was in my family's life. Not so much maybe in my life. I kind of looked at God like Santa Claus. Like I asked him for things. And when he didn't deliver, I kind of stopped believing. And growing up with three brothers who were super achieving. And I kind of didn't know where I fit into the mix. So my answer was to rebel and kind of go my own way. I was like, if I can't be as good as them, I'll kind of do my own thing. So I thought the best way to do this would be to chase popularity. I wanted like the classic kind of high school things. I wanted to go to the parties. I wanted to have a boyfriend. I wanted to have like the big group of friends. And so I kind of decided freshman year of high school that I was going to chase after that, no matter the cost. And so I did for three plus years or really no more like five chased after being popular, being accepted and like everything that that looked like in high school. And it took me down super dark roads. And that's why I was kind of driven to write the book is because I felt like there wasn't a great portrayal of what high school actually looked like running away from Jesus and like the really dark side of sin. And so I wanted to give high school girls, especially like an honest account of what it looked like to walk away from the Lord and what it looked like to actually like pursue those things and what it looked like to be like really entangled in sin. Cause I went from, you know, growing up in a great Christian home at 15, still going to church. And then by 18, my life was pretty much a total train wreck. I was pretty much addicted to alcohol. I was smoking weed every day before school. I'd been sleeping with my boyfriend and then that had led to a breakup and heartbreak and then just like continually giving my body away as a way to try to get love. I just went down all these avenues basically looking for love and acceptance and hoping that they would satisfy and fulfill and they didn't. And I felt like I had this like secret, like this understanding of what it actually looked like to walk away from God. And I didn't feel like that was being portrayed accurately to high schoolers, like, cause, you know, media and now social media portrays that lifestyle is just so fulfilling and wonderful. And like, You get all these things that you want. And I just felt like I had an end. Like, I knew that that wasn't true. And I wanted girls to see that.
0: Well, and so even when you were in it, so you achieved these things. You were popular. You had the boyfriend. You had all the things that you were pursuing. Even
2: in those moments in high school, did you know that you weren't satisfied? Again, it was temporary. So I could feel good quickly or I could feel better right now. But it was only induced by substances or parties or boys when i sat with myself when i sat like alone or when i sat to journal it was like the only thing that came out was pain it was so temporary and fake you know i always worried about losing my social standing was like yeah i was popular but if they stopped liking me i wouldn't be popular anymore was like yeah i had a boyfriend but he could break up with me any day and like yeah some people thought i was pretty but like that could go away too everything felt so like i was living on the edge of falling off at any moment so I think when I would sit back and reflect, I knew, but I i mean, there was enough distraction to stay satisfied for as long as I needed to.
0: Oh, that's well said. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of teenage girls maybe are relating to that and they're in that season right now. And I'd love to transition to you, Claire, as the mom. So let's hear your side now as we just go back a few years to when she was a teenager and life started changing in your household what was your first red flag that you were going to be facing new issues with your daughter that you had never encountered before with
1: your sons? Right. It's crazy. My past almost completely mirrored Tyndall's before we even discovered anything. I felt her slipping away. I felt her not wanting to communicate with me as she had always. And I almost was in denial because I was so afraid she was going to do what I did. And I was so afraid to speak up and say, I've been there, Tyndall. This is going to lead to a dead end of pain and consequences. So I I kept it to myself a lot, but the signals got very strong. I mean, we first, a friend of hers came over and showed us that Tyndall had a water bottle filled with vodka. I mean, obviously, that's a tremendous change in our daughter and the direction she's going. Her clothes, her friends, her music, and in general, just her spirit, all you could tell were going down into a dark place. She was dressing very provocatively. She was making fun of our Christian walk or music. In fact, we would go on trips and in the car, we would usually play like an Andy Stanley sermon or whoever. And Tyndall was really good at putting her earphones on, but cranking her music up, which was rap, as loud as she could. So with the sermon, we heard the rap and it was like Andy versus rap. And we knew we just had to let her find her way and not shove it down her throat, but we knew what was going on. The boys told us, this is what we see, this is what we hear. And I got a couple of phone calls from people telling me things, and I, there again, I was somewhat in denial, but then when the vodka appeared, you know, it was like, okay, we're in this. It was one of the first times it became real. Yes, Very. And
0: what did your conversations and prayer life even look like behind closed doors with your husband or with your friends and mentors during this time when it seemed like nobody could get through to your daughter?
1: You know, I felt like we were truly in a tug of war with Satan. The more we pulled, the more our feet seemed to lose ground. Coming down hard on Tyndall, it didn't seem to open her eyes at all. I spent tons and tons of time on my knees, and just begging God to give me the intuition, the insight for the Holy Spirit to really speak to me. I think because I had actually lived through it myself, I knew when things weren't right. And I just was begging God to really show me and help me catch her, help me prevent terrible things from happening. I was begging him to bring her back to his fold, to love her back in and for her heart to turn. But truly, it was evil against
2: good. And I got to the point, she would actually warn me not to do something. And because she had been right enough times, I would like, she was like, don't go to that party. And I mean, everyone at the party would get arrested. It got to the point where I was like, I don't know if I believe in this God thing, but like you got something that I have to trust because yeah. she would, I mean, be right without
1: fail. It was crazy. When well, that developed, you know, it was slowly but surely, Tyndall would see that happen and she was willing to say, "Okay, maybe I shouldn't go do that." so that was later in the beginning, she was figuring out ways to to fool us, leaving the house in one outfit with another outfit that was so tiny it fit into her purse Well, and I'm just wondering, as a mom, what was that like when you knew let's use that example you knew
0: that she was going to be changing. Was that emotional?" for you or how did you
1: even start to release control of that? Yes, great question. We realized that coming down on the little things like her outfits might be fruitless and push her farther away. Our whole goal was to nurture and develop a relationship with her no matter what she was doing. Of course she was punished. We got very creative with every time we caught her and that was very often. But We were just so focused on, we want you, Tyndall, to know we love you like God loves you. And you can do anything and we're still going to love you. Yes, you're breaking our heart, but our heart is still for you. There's so much wisdom there. And
0: I'm wondering for you, Tyndall, was it harder when your parents came down on you and punished you? Or was it harder when they extended grace? Oh, what a great question. Um, It was for
2: sure harder when they extended grace. Because when they came down on me, I could be angry. When they extended grace, like, what are you going to be angry about with grace? I mean, they always were trying to maintain a relationship with me. That was, that was always clear. And they also but towards the end of high school, were just trying to save my life. Yes. So things like my outfit were the least of their concerns, Absolutely. as much as like, we want you to come home alive. Their ongoing grace and unconditional love are like markers in my mind of that period of my life. That's incredible.
0: Was there any hope that was given to you during this season or advice
1: or scripture that you clung to? Lots. We we did get lots of advice from well-meaning friends and family. Most of the time, they were saying we were doing everything wrong. Um, We needed to do this. And this was people that hadn't really had experience with this anyway. So we had to choose who we listened to. I did get hope in... The fact that God was speaking to me, just assuring me that he had her, and it, it was an overwhelming feeling. There were many days, don't get me wrong, that I was like, okay, this is this is going to end terrible because, like Tyndall said, we were, at certain times, trying to save her life. She became so depressed and things like that, but there just were uh, glimmers of hope that either she would open up to us, you know, we would have a fun family time or something that just enabled us to think, okay, there's, there's the Tyndall we know. I held on to quite a few scriptures and one of them was from Matthew. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. And I know everybody knows that, but I felt a tremendous weight as the mom. And I feel like Satan was using the fact that I had not shared where I had been in my past Constantly bringing that up to my face, going, well, you did it. She's going to do it. And there's nothing you can do. And what you're doing is not good enough. This is going to end up in a complete disaster. I mean, there were times we had no hope, but yet that's when I just went to Scripture, you know, and the lies are thrown at you uh, right and left. I really learned to take a thought captive. And those were usually lies. And to then replace that thought with the truth, which is scripture. And um, I would turn on worship music. Anything I could do to turn my mind around. Because I know it's just a mom, women, we're emotional. And our emotions can so direct how we handle things. I really did spend hours on my knees and in the word. We I also got hope, interestingly enough, from our oldest son, Christian, was engaged to Carrie. She was living in our house when all this was going on. And thankfully, Tyndall really leaned into Carrie and shared a lot of what was going on. So Carrie had a little more insight and Tyndall was very real with her, but Carrie kept telling me, it's going to be okay, Claire. This is going to end well. And she has a great intuition and insight and understanding. Um, she's just a wonderful, godly wife and woman. And the more she told me that, the more I believed it. I was like, Lord, you keep telling me this because I really saw that as from the Lord. Um, and our sons said the same thing. They, she would talk to them every now and then. And Christian and Taylor especially would say, it's going to be okay, mom. Isn't that interesting
0: Yes. how that encouragement meant so much more and
1: was actually more accurate than a lot of the advice that was given? Exactly. I
0: know. Yeah. And now a brief message from our sponsor. This sponsor is particularly special to our editor, Natalie, because this is the school where her husband teaches and her children attend. Peoria Christian School grades pre-K through 12 offers a Christ-centered, award-winning education for students. They believe eternity matters, and so they want to share the importance of knowing the Lord personally. PCS supports the Christian home and church by teaching from a biblical worldview. Their caring faculty and staff infuses God's truths through every area of the day, not just in daily Bible classes or in weekly chapels. Puri Christian students engage in active learning through STEAM, bring your own device in high school, and so much more. The Puri Christian Elementary School was named a 2017 National Blue Ribbon School of Excellence. And the high school was named a 2018 National Blue Ribbon Exemplary High Performing School. PCS students grow in every aspect through their safe environment as teachers share their faith throughout the day. It is another place where your student hears and sees how to live with a Christ like attitude and develop biblically based character. The students are
1: academically
0: challenged and spiritually equipped for the next phase of life as lifelong learners. Puri Christian School is raising a generation of 21st century Christian leaders. Visit their website at org and schedule a campus tour today. Thanks for your sponsorship. Tyndall, what about you? Were there any times during this process that your heart softened toward God as you sensed that He was pursuing you even in the midst of the mud?
2: I mean, honestly, as far as things of faith, I had pretty much shut that door Um, and kind of thought like, maybe I'll get back to God when I'm older, but the like markers of unconditional love did make me stop and think like, because my friends in my circle or the friends I had kind of like in my worldly life, you know, love was always conditional. If you stopped performing, you were kicked out of the circle. Like, I mean, there was always for performance to go with the love. You know, if I stopped sleeping with my boyfriend, he was going to break up with me. Like there was just all these things, but with my family, I treated them horribly was, like, completely rebellious and disobedient, and you know, yet they had this, like, continual love and pursuit of me, which, like, was such a perfect picture of how God treats us um, that it did make me stop and think. And not necessarily even to point to God, but to think, like, they have something different that clearly my friends don't have. Um, and I had some great friends who I'm still friends with now, but for the most part, my life was so conditional, everything in my um, world, as high school honestly kind of is, like, very conditional, and one time in particular, um, after my like long-term high school boyfriend had broken up with me and I was super distraught and I was at lunch with my dad when I got the phone call that he was breaking up with me. And it was because I had gotten drunk and cheated on him. I mean, like I deserved it. It wasn't, it was all brought on me by myself. And, um, and my dad kind of knew the backstory and that like, they had known like this was again, like something I brought on myself. And I came home from a friend's house. And they had put a dozen red roses on my bedside table, just like with a note that said, like, you're dearly loved. It was the perfect time to shake their finger in my face and be like, this is what happens when you don't listen. This is what happens when you live this life. But like, instead, they took that opportunity to love on me in such a like tangible way that it was, again, like such a marker in my head of and I like, why would they love me? Like, why on earth would they do something like this for me? And so it was things like that that did make me stop and think. And then there was a few like towards the end of high school, maybe like senior year, a few people from like my past at church, like back in like middle school, sent me like prayer books and notes and just things that, hey, I was praying and your name came to my mind. And people I hadn't talked to in years who just like made the effort to reach out and just send me something was just a reminder. I felt like that God, it was like God reminding me, I haven't forgotten you you might've forgotten me, but like, I'm not done with you, and then my oldest brother Christian would say consistently, "God's going to do something amazing in your life. God's going to do something amazing in your life." It's just like, are you seeing my life? Like I'm a train wreck, but like his belief that God wasn't done with me like helped me not um, necessarily give up on myself. Really. That makes a lot of sense, and I feel like
0: something that the Lord has been teaching me in this season is that one part of love is just profound thoughtfulness. And it sounds like your family and some of these Christian friends from years ago, their profound thoughtfulness of you was a catalyst that kind of started softening your heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And stories are always Mm -hmm. helpful. So do you have any others that come to mind?
2: You know, one that like stuck out with me and it wasn't necessarily like a story like I lived through, but it was just something my dad told me early on. I think I was a freshman or sophomore in high school and, when this all started, like they sat me down, we'd always have these like kitchen table talks where they'd sit me down I mean, like, I dreaded it. But my dad said, you know, I like to compare high school to whitewater rafting. And he was like, I've been through the rapids and like, I want to be your guide and I can stand here and say like the rapids are coming. You can't see it, but I can. He's like, I want to be that for you. I want to tell you like, when it's coming. He was trying to give me an example of like, I've lived through this. I know, I know where the pitfalls are. And like, he liked to say, sin has tons of paths but only one destination and like that was his point was like the rapids are all around you and like you can't see it you're just in the boat but like i've been down the river i know it's coming like let me help you let me guide you and he wanted to take that approach they both want to take that approach as opposed to the like again kind of shake your finger in your face and be like you should have done this and why didn't you do this um and then you know later him kind of watching you go through really tremendous pain and saying like Not in a, I told you so, but in a, like, this is the rapid. Like, I saw that I could have have helped you. Like, you know, just trying to help walk with me so that I wouldn't shut them out. Because there was
0: a moment then, like you said, when he addressed this is the rapid. That was pretty powerful for you. Yes, and
2: actually that was the lunch I was at with him when the boyfriend broke up with me. I, like, at that point I had nothing left to hide. At this point, too, I'd kind of been excommunicated from the group for a little while because... The boyfriend I was dating had said I couldn't come back to, like, any of the parties or anything. And so um, I was kind of, like, down and out. And then I was grounded, too, on top of it. Like, I had just had, you know, I was kind of just at the rock bottom. And so at lunch, my dad said, what happened? I just told him I was honest. And I said, you know, I cheated on him. He broke up with me. And he was like, this is what I wanted to prevent. Like, I wanted to prevent the pain for you. Because now the rapid's hit, and it's too late, and I can't take this pain away from you. And he was right. There's nothing he could do at that point to help me, except for, again, show me this like crazy, unconditional love. But like, that is what he was trying to help prevent me from. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And again, thinking of that teenage girl listening, sometimes it's hard until they get to that
0: point to realize what outsiders can see. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And honestly, like working with teenagers in some capacity for the last, I mean, I'm on my like third group of small group girls and- You know, as much as I would love to say there's, like, a quick answer to help teenagers, I think the reality is, like, the best thing you can do for teenagers is be, like, the Carrie in their life. I tell other high school leaders all the time, like, Carrie, my brother's wife, was um, at that season, like, he was living in their apartment, and so she was living in our house, and she was, like, this consistent presence. And it's not like I went to her for advice and said, you know, what's the godly thing to do here? I never asked that. I went to her and said, can I talk to you? Will you help me? And she just consistently listened and cared for me. And as teenagers, like, I think that's what the greatest thing you can do for them is listen to them, um, be present for them and then justify their pain. Like so often we want to tell teenagers, this isn't a big deal. But like, we know that because we've been through it. They don't know that. I mean, it's like when you have your first baby and you take him to the doctor for every little thing because you don't know what's a big deal and what's not. They're going through this and they don't know it. And how stupid you feel when you take the baby to the doctor and the doctor looks at you and is like, why would you bring him in? Mm -hmm. That's how they feel when we look at them and say, this isn't a big deal. Like, Oh, who cares who you're going to go to prom with? It's like, well, you probably cared when you were 16. (laughs) But like they care. And so the most important thing we can do is justify their pain. I'm sorry that hurts. Like it is real because it's real to them. And like, we can't take it from them, but we can help them see like you can make it through this or encourage them to keep going and just be present and listen.
1: You know, um, I need to give a lot of credit to my husband. Tommy is his name. And he was always the even keel, see the big picture and be able to come up with, Hey, this is how we can influence the relationship we have with Tyndall. Not this is how we can ground her or yell at her, do something to make us feel better because we've come down on her. It was, he was always focused on the huge picture, getting her to a great place in the end without losing any kind of relationship that we had. And I needed that because I need to make it clear we're sounding all great here. I had many times where I went up and just ripped Tyndall a new one. I mean, there was one time that she and a friend came home drunk, and they were supposed to have picked up my little my youngest son at church. They drove home obviously drunk. They did not pick up my From a son. School event? Yes. Thank goodness. Oh yes, they had been at a school event and gotten ripper and drunk, and they. I went upstairs and just vomited on them this speech of how disappointed I I mean, I made a fool of myself. I truly did. And I felt at the time that maybe I was going to feel better doing it, and it did feel invigorating to just let it all out. But I had to go back upstairs very shortly after and go, I am so sorry. I blew it. And that's where I really needed my husband to say, that's not going to get us anywhere. And I knew it. The Holy Spirit tells you, Oh, that was really good, Claire. Way to go. What a waste of time. So he was so instrumental, obviously, in speaking to her and in calming me down. And we were a unified front. It took a little while for me to buy into what he thought should happen because I had my own ideas as well. So I just want to make sure that your listeners don't think, well, they did it all right. No, we didn't. I appreciate that because I think as a
0: mom, we definitely can identify with that part of making so many (laughs) mistakes. We're trying our best. I know. Mm -hmm. I know. Well, and Tyndall being years now removed from all of these experiences, what do you wish you could have gotten through to the head and the
2: heart of teenage Tyndall? Mm-hmm. I love this because I don't know if there's a way to have gotten this through to me, but what I would have loved to understand at that age was, like, that I was never too far gone from God. Like, for me, I felt like, like, the only objective goal, maybe, when I, I knew I was going to enter this, like, party lifestyle was, like, oh, I'm not going to have sex before marriage. Like, that was kind of the one thing I said, like, I was going to keep that. And then once I did cross that line, I thought God was done with me. Like, he had washed his hands of me and been, like, I'm done with you. And I... I felt like that was such a bold lie that Satan had me believing um, and really kept me from even going back to Jesus. Cause I felt like I couldn't go back. Like there was no, I would crossed that line. He, he was done. And there was even a good Friday service that we went to together. And Christian was at Buckhead church way back in Buckhead church was in a grocery store. Christian was singing. And I just remember this like big wooden cross being hung. The stage was in the middle of the room, this big wooden cross being hung in the middle of the stage. And me looking at that cross and thinking like that it was an invitation, like there was an invitation from God and like weeping, like the music was so moving to me that I was weeping. and But I also remember thinking two things. One, I was too far gone. And then two, that like the Christian life would never be as fulfilling as the party life I was leading. I would never have as much fun. I would never be as happy or satisfied as I was doing these things I was doing, which is just so ironic now because now it's like the life I lead now is you know, a billion times more fulfilling than that life I was living. But um, yeah, those were the two things I wish I understood—like how fulfilling and like wonderful living in Christ is. And then just that God was never done with me. Like, like we aren't disqualified person. Like it's it's actually what qualifies us for um, Jesus' grace. Mm-hmm. And we
1: all need yeah. to thing yes. here.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Well, Claire, did other people ever make hurtful comments, or did Satan try to also whisper half-truths to you about your parenting during
1: this struggle? Of course. We were great juicy gossip, because we had these sons who really were excelling, as Tyndall said. You know, Christian was a worship leader at an early age. Taylor was high achieving in school and all the sports and Brett was also an incredible worship leader. So it was like we had this black sheep that even a teacher at the school would say, What happened to you? And I think, how horrible. But I had people calling me saying you need to do this or did you know that Tyndall did this? Or how in the world can you let her go to college where she is in in her state of mind right now. It's like we were on our own little island dealing with it because very few people had good intentions. It was more, let me just tell you what is on the gossip train right now. It was very discouraging because as a mom, you know, part of our feeling fulfilled is to think we're doing a good job. And who measures that you're doing a good job? By the world standards, it's how you appear, what is your family doing, how are the kids behaving, all that stuff. And I was failing because I had a daughter that, you know, was not going the way we wanted her to go. And I had to deal with, you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks. Our family is right where God has us. He has us. Number one, he's holding this. And these people that don't understand One day, they'll maybe understand. And the beauty of it is, so many people have been affected and encouraged and blown away by Tyndall's decision to commit her life and become this incredibly beautiful mom and wife. Now, it's amazing the people that don't even have a faith that I know have made comments. So... I had to work through making sure it wasn't for me that I wanted the reputation to be good. I just had to stop listening to a lot of what was going on. And I would think that that would be a very isolating feeling. It really was. And because we had gotten married so young, we were pioneering the moving on with older children. Most of our friends had children 10 years and younger. So... We, we were kind of on our own. We didn't have a whole lot of older friends that had been through this kind of scenario that we could go, oh, well, they did that and it really worked. We sought out lots of help, ministries and things that could offer advice, but it, it was isolating, very.
0: Well, and I wondered if you did seek
1: out some mentors or somebody who had been through that, was that helpful when you said you reached out? Yes, very. One ministry we reached out to was uh, the prodigal child. It's a couple here in Atlanta that run the ministry, and they had had a prodigal child, and they understood, and they started this incredible ministry. We met with them, just listened to all that they had heard and seen through so many people that had come through their ministry. So they were a great resource. We had some counselors, both Tommy and myself, that we both went to. Love hearing that. I think that's so courageous when you're Mm -hmm. able to reach out, and I think
0: it shows humility (laughs) rather than that pride or self-righteousness. Yes. Yes. We need help. We all do. Mm -hmm. So Claire, if another parent right now is going through something similar and they have their own
1: prodigal child, how would you like to encourage them? I would say you have to hold tight to the truth. And the truth is scripture. Over and over in scripture, the promises that God gives us, And just to name a few, he will never leave us or forsake us. Do not fear. The Lord goes with us. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Be confident and courageous. Paul, to me, was a great example. He was chained in prison, but he had the confidence and the courage. For all practical purposes, the view he had was disastrous. But yet, he always moved forward in whatever way he could, confidently and courageously. And I felt like that was our call. And I think that you have to do that with the Lord behind you. And I think sometimes going through this kind of pain, we can look at it as a terrible nuisance, or we have to sometimes walk through pain and suffering. And we cannot do anything about it. This was one of those cases. We couldn't make Tyndall turn around. So we were in a painful Walk for quite a long time, and what I learned was that that made me to be in dire need of Jesus. It drew me to Him and created the most tender relationship between myself and Him. I wouldn't have that, and I can always go back to that when I think about what we went through with her. And I'm like, my relationship will never be the same. Because of that scenario, there's other scenarios in my life too, that I have to say, you know, God's doing the same thing as he did back then. Lean into him. That's my main advice. He is your rock. And I think you keep painting such a nice big
0: picture view instead of us getting so caught in the here Mm -hmm. and now, but now you're in a different season and it seems like God has just given you such an
1: enlarged heart from this. Yeah, what a blessing.
0: Over 90 of you have already left five star ratings and reviews. That is so awesome. And if you haven't done it yet, would you mind just pausing to head over to iTunes and you can leave your own five star rating and review? Here is one that Nicole J left. Love this podcast. I legitimately look forward to listening because each episode. And each time I repeat an episode, there is always something new that encourages me and equips me as a wife, mom, and friend. There are good podcasts that encourage, but so far on this one, everything has been rooted in biblical truth. Highly recommend. Wow, thank you, Nicole J. Now back to the show. Tyndall, will you pick up your story
2: and tell us how you then reached Breakthrough? Uh, despite um, other people's advice, they did let me go to college, mm-hmm. which was honestly my saving grace because I think being raised, you know, in a suburb with going through high school right after my brothers, we were all close in age. Um, I think the best thing for me was to kind of get into a new space with new people and a new reputation and, and kind of having to figure out who I want to be. So I went to Auburn. And no one really knew who my family was. No one knew who I was. And I kind of like looked around and thought, oh, I can, you know, maybe start over a little bit. I wasn't like looking for God or anything, but he was looking for me. I think uh like a few months in, I kind of started the same lifestyle for a while and then joined a sorority kind of known for being crazy. And then a few months in, I looked around and I was like, this is just a different place and different people, but it's the same old thing. Same old hurt, same old pain, same old lifestyle. I was like, okay something's got to give. So I thought, okay, well, I'll stop doing drugs. and I won't sleep with anyone. I'm dating. That was like my two, like clean up my life a little bit from the outside looking in, like I'll have a better reputation. I mean, it was college. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to give up drinking or anything. But my mom kind of saw the change in heart. And we were talking on the phone. College did wonderful things for our relationship. (laughs) Just like, you know, a little bit distance having to do all my own laundry and cooking and all that. I was like, oh, I have a new appreciation for everything you've done for me my whole life. So I was talking to her and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to my like sorority's Bible study. She was like, oh, you have to tell me to sit down before you say stuff like that. <laughs> um, shock. Yeah, it was a shock. But um, I just started being more open and they, and she saw that and was in tune with that. And so January of my freshman year, my, oh, my oldest brother Christian was leading in his first passion conference, um, which is just a conference for college students like based around, Jesus. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who the speakers were. I just knew it was a big deal for my brother. And he'd always been so overly supportive and loving to me that all my brothers had. And I thought, okay, I'll go. And I think my dad was like, we'll go shopping in Nashville. It was in Nashville. And so I went and the first speaker that I heard at the conference was Beth Moore, which like, if you've ever heard Beth Moore speak, you like feel like she's just talking to you. And she was talking about the pit and the pit of sin, what that looks like and how like God can choose the person in Psalms about how God lifts you, lifts you out of the pit and puts your feet on solid ground. And I think for the first time I kind of saw that like all the pain in my life had been my own doing. Like I had dug the hole and jumped in myself and kept digging and hoping to make things better and cleaning up my life in any sort of way. wasn't going to do anything, but that like Jesus was the only person that's going to lift me out and put my feet on solid ground. And so then that night, my brother came on stage and was singing Jesus Paid It All, which the, you know, the chorus is, oh, praise the one who paid my debt, who raised this life up from the dead. And I just was ready. I think I was like willing to surrender and accept that I had, you know, wrecked my own life and I was ready for Jesus to like wreck it in a good way and, and put it back together. And so I did, um, I accepted Jesus that night and like went back and I think told them pretty quickly after and then. Met with my brother and his wife, and talked to them, and like apologized to them for pain I had put them through and um it was like really beautiful, but then you know I had to go back to college, and college is hard when you're a new believer um it's not an easy place to start loving Jesus, and so I had to kind of work through what it looked like. um It was not like I came back to college and was like, now I don't want to do any of the things that I used to do uh, it was very much a having to trust God and like a baby step of trusting him like you say I'm supposed to do this and live this way but are you right like do I really believe you it was not a you know full 180 I'm I'm completely good um, it was very much slow and steady baby steps to trusting and loving him and believing that he really did have what was best for me and then I, I mean I feel like within a year I was all in willing to do whatever whatever it took to know and love him in a real way I just realized like he was it he was the only thing that was going to put my life on a path that was worth living. And then I met my husband like the next year, and he's a wonderful Christian man. And I'm mayor.
0: So life has drastically changed since you surrendered everything to Jesus. So catch us up now and tell us more of how it has changed.
2: You know, honestly, like, I think that an easier thing would be how it hasn't changed because there's not really one part of my life that God hasn't touched. It's such a, Wonderful thing. I mean, hard, but wonderful that I get to be such a different person. Like, it was such a clear transformation for me that it was like, it's easy for me to trust God because, like, I know what life was like without Him. And I mean, how I parent is totally different because of my love for Jesus, how I love my husband, how I love others, how I treat other people, how I, you know, the things I prioritize, the voice I listen to. Our need for love and acceptance, what I was searching for back at 15, doesn't go away but like how I fulfill it now is like through Jesus. And I think the main difference is I'm not following Jesus out of any like shame or guilt or any like family push. I'm following him because I of like utter gratitude for what he did for me on the cross and what I know and believe and have seen that he's done for me. And so it's been like easier for me to trust him with things that's maybe harder. if Like you've known Jesus your whole life. I think um, in some a- aspects it's been a, easier transition for me because I just, there's such a clear picture of my life before Jesus and my life afterwards. And Claire, what was that moment like when you
1: realized that God had rescued Tyndall and she had accepted him as her Lord and Savior? It was almost like speechless elation. I didn't have the words. I had lots of tears of joy. I was beyond thankful. It was like the vision that I had had for her life was coming to fruition and there were no doubts the burden had been lifted i just felt an immediate gratitude incredible gratitude that wow she's been delivered we have her back we have our family unity back without you know contention it's hard to put into words i'll tell you what it was like when tyndall was born we didn't know she was going to be a girl. And we had had Christian and Taylor. And, of course, I wanted a girl. And when they said, it's a girl, I said, show me. <laughs> and I was just like in shock and beyond happy. And it's almost like she was born again to me. I got her back. You know, as I felt that feeling of I can hold her again. And she's my girl. There were days I thought we were losing her. Many weeks You know, I read her journal. She wanted to kill herself. She was cutting herself. It was not pretty. And to to envision the end being this incredible, it was more incredible than I could have ever envisioned because God created it and he made it happen. It still blows me away. And I
0: think every parent listening can relate to that, myself included. Our oldest is only five. And yeah, I long, long for that day where... I'm going to just paraphrase, but I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: So how has your relationship with each other, the mother-daughter relationship,
2: how has that changed since that day? Oh, man. Honestly, I do feel like college, even before then, like just going to college, started repairing. If I can give parents. So I tell mothers of teenagers all the time, like when they leave the house, there's like a new renewed understanding for everything they've done for you, all like that your mom's done for you. Um, I mean we live ten minutes away right you know, now, which is super fun. And yeah, we named our oldest Claire after her just for what an impact she's been on my life. And we have a great friendship. Like it's a joy to be friends with your mom, to go to lunch on a Thursday or just you know, and like how I parent has been influenced by our relationship and I'm super grateful that we we have the bond that we do, the um, friendship that we do. Yeah,
0: because you didn't try to force a friendship early on. You were the parent yes. to Claire, yes. and yes. now you get to reap so many blessings. So true. So true. From your perspective, how has the relationship changed with your mm. daughter?
1: Oh, it's it's just sweet. It's real. The great thing too is that I don't think we ever totally lost. A relationship. It wasn't like we had to then, once she came back to the Lord, figure out how to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my husband was so instrumental in in making sure that that happened. So we've just been able to go deeper, you know, move to the next level, and now we are just the closest of friends. Probably not a day goes by we don't talk. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just adore her, my time with her. I'm so just in awe of what God's done and that I get to have this relationship with her. Well, Tyndall, what do you want to say to
0: the teenager who's in a season right now of rebellion and resisting
2: anything related to what their parents are saying or what God wants to say to them? Yeah. I would challenge them just not to believe that they're ever too far gone, like that God is a redeemer. And like, even though they might not be able to see where he's working in their story. Like he hasn't given up on you, even if you've given up on him or given up on yourself. And also like to find someone who can like have faith for you when you don't Carrie was that person to me, but to have someone who you can talk to, who can, you know, be like a guiding light for you. And honestly, I would say older than you, not really. I think your peers are wonderful, but like having someone a little farther ahead that can be, Um, Like a small group leader or a mentor or something. Um, Just finding that person and being able to, you know, have them encourage you and again, maybe have faith for you when you don't, I think is like a vital thing. And to have a mentor at all things. Yes, Yes. amen. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. definitely.
1: Claire, what about you? What's the biggest lesson that God has taught you through all of this? I would say that He is enough and He is faithful. His promises are true. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the end, to the day of Jesus. And Tyndall was very outspoken in like the fourth and fifth grade about God and heaven and who was going to heaven and who wasn't. (laughs) She loved to just tell people the truth. fourth graders are. (laughs) But I knew deep down in her heart that God had worked in her son, So I I knew that she would come back. And I think it's just having that faith, you know, and knowing that, that God really is enough. And I would say be united with your husband. I think it's so true. And if you don't have a husband, if you're a single mom, I would say find that safe person that is like a mentor who believes in you and understands you that that you can balance things off of because we all need a balance. Mm-hmm. You really walked that faith where you had to believe in the things that were not seen. Completely.
0: Exactly.
2: Yeah.
0: So additionally, Tyndall... How has your story impacted the way that you are
2: now parenting your own children? I think that's been one of the greatest blessings to me. One, I decided early on I wanted to heal from my story, which honestly writing it was super hard because like writing your own story is really just like kind of reliving everything you've gone through and figuring out where you need to get counseling, not get counseling, all that kind of stuff. So I did. I went through a lot of counseling as I was writing popular and that helped me a ton, just process my past. I think shame is such a powerful thing that the enemy uses. And I just decided, like, I wasn't going to be held back by shame. Like, I believe that I'm a new creation. And so I can live in freedom and I don't have to feel shame about my past, which has been huge going around and sharing my story to know that, like, I'm not who I was, that, like, I'm a new creation. and So I can live out of that. So that's been great just now having two daughters and knowing I'm probably going to have to talk about some things that, are hard and painful, and I'm going to have to walk through, you know, some maybe scary stuff with them, and then also just like knowing that my kids walk with the Lord as their own, um, and having to trust that He has them and He loves them, and that my prayer has always been that they know and love Him from an early age. But I think in my heart, what's more important even than an early age, which is scary to say, but that they know and love Him authentically, and that their faith is their own. Because for me even if I hadn't gone through the rebellion and I lived out like the steps of the Christian life, like I didn't know Jesus and I didn't understand what he had done for me. So I want my girls and my son to know not just like what Jesus has done for them, but like to experience him in a real way so that their faith sticks and they don't lose it in high school or they don't lose it in college or whatever. Cause I think even if I'd gone through the motions of Christianity When college had hit, I would have run away because it wasn't my own. So knowing that what's more important than necessarily them avoiding the pain is that they have a faith that's theirs. And that's so hard in the day-to-day life of being a mom to
1: do that.
0: But when I hear you say that, it's so clear. Like Yes, we need faith. Mm -hmm. That's essential. Well, this time has been an incredible blessing, and I'm sure that people are going to want to reach out or follow up. Maybe they have some questions or would love some guidance from the two of you. So where's the best place that they can connect with you online?
2: Um, I have a blog, that's TyndallBaldwin.com, which I have not been great about keeping up this year, because I've been working on something longer, hopefully. But um, yeah, I have a blog, and on there there's like a contact me, and then I'm on social media, Tyndall Grace
1: is my like Instagram so, and I'm on social media as well, or my email is just Claire Stanville at Gmail. Perfect. We mm-hmm. will
0: link to all of that in our mm-hmm. show notes. And I have one final question for you today, ladies, because we are called the savvy sauce because savvy means
2: practical knowledge. So we'd all love to hear what is your savvy sauce? Oh yeah. Okay. So in this, this is kind of like super practical, but in this season of little kids, to stay connected to my husband, we do something we call a Sunday night check-in. And it's called, well, the acronym is BUMPS, but it's Budget, upcoming Week, Marriage, Parenting, and Spiritual. And so we go through these on Sunday night. We fold all of our laundry together on Sunday night after I get home from church. And we um, go through each category. And that's like our time to like if air maybe if things were hard or something came up that week. And it's just been a nice thing for us to like stay connected on the same page, especially with parenting. That's been, like, our practical, like, kind of saving grace in raising, you know, kids under six right now. That's awesome. We're going to link to that acronym
0: even so people can remember. Yeah. So good. And, Claire, what about you? What is your savvy sauce?
1: Well, I would say my advice or savvy sauce would be to laugh, listen, and learn every day. And my husband really has taught me to laugh. He is a funny guy, very upbeat. And I think that is just so important. And when you listen, we need to learn to listen well. You know, listen to people's hearts, listen to God, and there's just always something wonderful to learn.
0: I love both of your savvy sauces, and this time has just been so enjoyable. I love getting to witness in person as we're in Atlanta recording this, just seeing the love and care you have for one another and for Jesus. So. Thank you for giving us your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news. And I want to share the best news with you, but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy. So he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore we're separated from him. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10 9 says,